This morning, our text of Scripture comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, and this is the beginning of the church. And we have an opportunity this week and in succeeding weeks to take a look at how that church began. I think one of the, the great strengths of the church, both in that day and in this day, is that whenever someone stands, as Peter did in this text, to address a number of people, it says he stood there standing with the eleven, the apostles. And I have to say, I always feel when I stand in this pulpit, I have the 25 behind me who've just sung that beautiful anthem, and our 21 elders and our 21 deacons. And it is a power to be able to stand with one another. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from Acts of the Apostles. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we do thank you that we can come here and remember what it means to be part of your church. We are grateful for these stories, and we pray that you would now speak to us through the testimony of those in Acts of the Apostles, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> you can probably tell I'm struggling a little bit with a cold, so bear with me here. A few years ago at uh, Monte Vista Grove, Grove Homes here in Pasadena, I had the opportunity to hear a lecture delivered by the former president of Fuller Seminary, Richard Mao. It was a provocative presentation entitled Strategies for Building Churches Between, excuse me, Strategies for Building Bridges Between the Church and Modern Culture. There were many important ideas that he shared on that occasion, but one comment made a particularly deep and lasting impression on me. After identifying our, pre, our, our present period in history as that of postmodernism, he illustrated what he called the deconstruction that characterizes our time by telling 
of his own experience when looking at a piece of art. The artist had simply dropped color on the canvas and did nothing more with it. Wherever it fell, however it splattered, that was it. Richard Mao confessed to an artist friend, I just don't get it. To which his friend replied, that's precisely the point. All the traditional assumptions about art are being challenged. And there's a suspicion of everything that's been received, and there's a desire to rethink and challenge everything. So if a Monet or a Constable is considered art, how about this? Do you call this art? Paint dropped on a canvas. Then Richard Mao went on to say that in the church, there's that same kind of challenge that's going on to every received assumption that we have embraced. Do you call this singing in church? Praise hymns? Do you call this a hymn? How about this? Do you call this a congregation if they meet at a coffee shop? Do you call this ministry? That illustration helped me to understand part of the phenomena that I think I've experienced, and maybe you have too, when visiting other churches. What is a church today in our postmodern world? There are many who are seeking to redefine what we call church. For 20 centuries, the church has existed in one form or another, in one culture or another, And the form is less important than the substance of it, but some form is obviously necessary. Some social organization is needed to become church together and to do what the church seeks to be and do. So our text this morning is one of the earliest about the formation of the church. And it may hold a few clues for us. I think there's a kind of basic mission statement included in this chapter. There are no buildings, there's no organs to go bad, no crosses, no vestments, no stained glass windows, no donuts with coffee in these days. Here we have this first century and perhaps earliest description of what it means to be a church. And following Peter's sermon, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So apparently church includes at least those four elements from the very beginning. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. These chapters early in Acts present a kind of idyllic picture of the church. But by chapter 5 of Acts, the wheels are beginning to come off the model. By chapter 15, there's open conflict and controversy over the Gentiles. And the first of many church councils has to gather together to resolve the matter. And before long, Paul is trying to raise money from the Roman and Corinthian churches for the believers in Jerusalem. 
So this idea of complete interdependence where they held all things in common didn't really last very long in the church's experience. But there is this basic idea present here that some redistribution of wealth for the sake of those in greatest need is essential to being church, and it has persisted throughout 2,000 years of Christian history. That's what we're doing today. A ton of food. We're providing for those in need. We're assisting where we can. I often hear people describe themselves as spiritual but not religious, which I think seems to be saying they have a personal faith, but they don't want to participate in a corporate faith. They prefer the headphones in and don't want the speaker. It's striking to me that these early churchgoers spent so much time together in community of faith that it was day by day. They broke bread at homes. They went from house to house, kind of a progressive dinner. And they ate with glad and generous hearts. Joy and generosity were the results of their participation in the community of faith. They spent time together daily. And the Lord added to their number day by day. This was not once a week or once a month or once a year. Church was something they experienced daily. And at the heart, I think, of much of the emergent church movement today, there's a desire to see faith in Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with God released from the moorings of an empty weekly ritual that so many seem to experience in church. They want something vibrant and joyous, something that produces a generosity in their daily experience of life. All of that characterized the early church here in Acts. I hope that's what you experience in church. Joy and generosity. I sure hope that that is an expression of our community of faith. One church expresses it this way, and I like it. The church needs to learn to breathe again with both lungs, worship and mission. I like it because this text adds a few additional elements to our worship. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, praying together. Years ago, the pastor went to see a man who was no longer attending church, and they were discussing this man's participation in front of a fireplace in his home. And the pastor heard all the usual complaints that pastors hear about the reasons people don't go to church. All those people there are hypocritical, hypocritical and 
They don't like the same things I like, individual differences in style and preference. Some like praise music, others like hymn and anthems. And As they spoke together, the pastor slowly reached over to the fire with a poker and pulled one log off the fire and moved it off to the side. And soon that log stopped burning, although all the rest of the logs were still ablaze. When the pastor drew attention to the log that had stopped burning, the man responded, okay, I see what you mean. You've made your point. I'll be back in church on Sunday. It's fellowship with one another that keeps the fires of faith burning. Any one of us, like that log, will just burn out or flame out in our faith apart from one another. Thanks be to God for the church. The church that has existed for thousands of years. Now, I'm all for startup companies up in Silicon Valley, but I'm grateful for a church that has existed for thousands of years. A few weeks ago, on Palm Sunday, two bombs were detonated by Muslim extremists at Coptic churches in Egypt as people were gathering together for worship. And the Islamic State claimed responsibility for those suicide bombings. Forty-four people were killed. And according to the newspaper, it raised the specter of increased sectarian bloodshed. Egypt declared a state of emergency this week, Pope Francis visited Egypt with significant security and met with religious leaders there in the Coptic church and elsewhere condemning violence that is perpetrated in the name of God. But also this week, I received a message from the Bible Society of Egypt from an Egyptian friend. And here is what our brothers and sisters in faith in the Coptic church in Egypt have to say. How are Christians responding to the church bombings? Despite the horror, grief, and fear, there's an increased determination to attend church, to love, and to forgive. In the immediate wake of the attack, several Christians posted this status update. Dear terrorist, slay whomever you want among us. We're used to your sword from a long time ago. Our faith is not going to be shakable. It's even stronger. We love you despite you hating us. We're blessing you and praying for you. Christ said, love your enemies. And our life is a gift for you. End quote. Now that sounds like a community of faith that's responding to violence with a devotion to the apostles' teaching to fellowship with one another, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayers. It is quite different than the consumer model that we approach church with today here in this country. In our culture, we become consumers of goods and services, programs and experience experiences and so we gravitate to churches that have the best or the most programs. So I guess the question this text asks us this morning is how are you responding to the challenges in your life and has your faith your own faith been removed from the roaring fires of the faith community just long enough to have grown colder? Do you participate in any of the educational programs that expose you to a deeper understanding of your faith and God's grace? Do you spend time in fellowship breaking bread with others of faith in the church community? And how is your prayer life? From the very beginning of the church and still today, people are cut to the heart by the message of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they join together in the community of faith where they live out the power of resurrection, worshiping with joy, serving with compassion and generosity. This promise is for you and for your children and for all whom the Lord calls. So may we in this church discover together again that same life-giving faith in Jesus Christ which inspired the early church and has inspired people of faith for thousands of years. Thanks be to God. Amen.